Hello and welcome back for another episode of Dig City, a Purdue volleyball podcast. I'm Daniel Gilman, joined as always by coach Dave Shondell, coming off of a pair of wins against Rutgers. Here we are in the middle of preparation against Ohio State Thursday, March 25th is this recording. So tomorrow, Ohio State in Columbus, coach. It's it's exciting to uh, to take a look and, and see that the postseason is right around the corner. Winners of nine of 10. You've got number nine in the country coming up. How's everything going over there in, uh, in West Lafayette? Well, thanks, Daniel. Great to see you again. And it, it, it's a big match, uh, two big matches this weekend. And it's always fun to have those to look forward to. Uh, if you're not in the hunt for something uh, productive, you don't have big matches to look forward to. So we're excited. A red hot Ohio State team who's won 15 of 16. Uh, in some people's minds, they've come out of nowhere, but those that have pain, been paying attention recognize that uh, there's been a lot of good players there for the past several years. Um, and this freshman class is really special with, in particular, Raider and Londot, who are two of the, uh, the best freshmen in the country. So we're excited about it. We've been working hard to try to get ready. Uh, we had a good weekend at, at Rutgers. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, Rutgers beat Maryland. Uh, in a match last night at Maryland. So uh, that was a good win for the Scarlet Knights. And I think proof to the fact that I believe that this is a good Rutgers team and they've got some live arms and they serve the ball really, really tough and they're, they're playing well together. Uh, I felt like we play one of the best matches of our season on Saturday night against Rutgers. So uh, we feel like we're getting better. A team is, is playing so well together and uh, we're going to have to be really special to go into uh, Ohio State and beat the Buckeyes. I did catch that on national TV, too, for Coach Caitlin Schweighoffer and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights with the win on BTN on Wednesday. But, Coach, it was, it was hard fought that Friday afternoon match, four-setter, first set, tied 21 all against Rutgers, come off with three straight, that second set. And I feel like we're getting so used to these Marissa Hornung scoring runs with her at the serving line. I think it was a 7-0 run midway through the second set that really separated the, the Boilermakers. And then that third set, we saw the Terwilliger service run to tie it at 24-all. Really good fight late in sets. Comes back to that theme that we have really been touching on this season. From the Minnesota weekend, it looks like your group has really learned how to tune in and dial in there in, in what do you want to call it, crunch time, red zone territory, late in sets. Well, you hope so. Um, we did drop the ball in that match at Penn State, yeah, the, the third set uh, or the fourth set that got away from us. So, but that's volleyball. I mean, you, you're never going to be a team that holds on to every single lead. Um, it's, it's, you know, young players, uh, 19, 20, 21 year old, 22 year olds playing the game of volleyball and it can go back and forth. It's a momentum sport. But uh, I, I do think that this team is, is gaining maturity and confidence as the season goes on. And that they know, um, they know how to win. And so uh, it'll, it'll be fun watching down the, the course of the season, down the court, the stretch of the season to see how well we do. So a couple of things that I wanted to touch on about this Rutgers weekend. Last time we talked, coach, you mentioned that the team just had to take care of business. You've got to go and beat the teams that you're quote unquote supposed to beat. But who do you think really, you know, stepped up in that Saturday, the whole you call it, you know, a well-rounded performance. Caitlin Newton, only six kills. Grace Cleveland, only six kills. It was a real spreading of the wealth from Haley Bush. And I think Emma Ellis stepped up in a big way as well from the left side. 
Well, I'd start with J.L. Johnson and Taylor Trammell, who were really strong on both nights. The two middles got the ball early and often, but most impressive was their blocking. The block that, you know, Johnson and Trammell are putting up when, with, when they're teamed up with Cleveland is one of the best blocks in America. Uh, it's, it's been really, really tough to hit through. We, you know, we've worked hard on blocking this year. We work hard on it every year, but this group has picked it up. You have to give Trammell a ton of credit. She's just a natural blocker, uh, plays so high above the net. She has T-bone stakes, his hands, just biggest hands, you know, I've ever seen on a woman. And she is, is really doing a great job of, of upping the level of our blocking. And then we've worked hard with our left side people and they were huge against Rutgers because Rutgers runs probably 70% of their offense from the right side. And so our left sides are gonna be matched up with those people, whether it's a slide from their middles or the lefty bombing balls out there. And I thought Caitlin Newton and uh, Emma Ellis in particular on that second night did a, gr did a great job of blocking the Rutgers attackers. So coach, I, I want you to kind of set, set the record straight here because I got a couple texts from people asking me, so Purdue's block was incredible against Rutgers. I mean, 31 stuffs in two matches. They were asking, was it a, a situation that Rutgers isn't necessarily, you know, the highest quality of team, but then you take a look, you see Maryland number one in the conference in blocks per set, and they mm -hmm. only had, you know, 12, I guess that's, that's still a pretty solid performance last night. But what was what was the the separating you know statistic at least last weekend? Was it the fact that that JL and Grace and, and Taylor just got so high and were able to read those those sets so well from from Balico? Well, I think the fact that Rutgers, like you know five or six other teams in our league, have limited attackers that are going to hurt you, that you can focus a little bit more on some of their big hitters. And we felt like we game planned for them fairly well, and that helped. But what was amazing was how many balls they brought back up that I thought were going to be blocked to the floor, especially Saturday night. Um, part of it was just the bounce of the ball. Balls were bouncing off shoulders, off of kneecaps, everything else, you know. But uh, they're pretty good at covering their, their hitters off of a blocked ball because I thought we could have had a lot more stuff blocks on, on Saturday than the 17 that we came up with. But I think – a lot of that is uh, knowing who they want to go to, our blockers understanding who's going to get the ball, what shots they're going to hit. Um, they don't hit super high above the net. Rutgers doesn't. Now, when we play Ohio State, you're going to see a different beast. You're going to see a real balanced offense, five attackers that you have to pay attention to, some of them hitting at a very high point, uh, some of the things that will make it more difficult to have that kind of a blocking performance. So let's go ahead and take a look at this upcoming weekend matchup. Ohio State, a team that you and I both kind of picked as, as our surprise team in 2021 as you know someone that was probably going to make some noise because of the talent of Gonzalez and more. Little did we expect that uh, you know they'd be 15-1, second in the conference. What do you see when you watch an Ohio State team, when, when you see them battling with Nebraska to, to reverse sweep the, the Cornhuskers two weeks ago? What do you see in the fight from, from Jen Flynn and Oldenburg's squad? First, a young team playing with incredible confidence, and that's a dangerous combination. A lot of talent and a lot of confidence. And the confidence comes from people not beating you. And so when they you know came back and, and beat – Nebraska at Nebraska on that second night. And then they 
um, had the reverse sweep at home against Penn State and then went to Happy Valley and swept the Nittany Lions. Um, that, was, that was really crucial for them. And so those young players felt like, man, this, this is great. And their setter is doing a terrific job of running the show. Uh, Riley Rader, who did not start early, I think she may have been out with an injury or something, and she didn't play a lot early. When she came into the lineup, they blew up. They just erupted. And she is a red-hot player right now. Uh, Witty is playing strong. So both of their middles are playing at a high, high level. Uh, Bukalik on the outside, the big six-foot, six-inch bomber. Uh, I don't think she was projected as a starter. Uh, last year, they played Gonzalez and Janasia Moore on the left side, and they were really good in those spots, a couple of young freshmen. Uh, but Moore got hurt, and Bukalik got put in the lineup, and she willed uh, her way to the win over uh, Nebraska with some big cross-court shots. So um, I just feel like they're a, a team that's that's got enough experience that there's a steadiness to their what they're doing. They ball control well, that they don't have any people that can't pass the ball. Uh, they're big. They're 6'6", six, 6'3", six, six, on, the, on the left side. They're 6'4", six, 6'2", six, in the middle. They're setter 6'2". Their right side player, Londot, who's probably going to be the freshman of the year, is 6'3", uh, but plays about 6'5". And then they've got Murr, who was, uh, you know, the best young libero in the, in the league a year ago and has continued on that trend. So they have no real weaknesses. You're going to have to go out and beat them. You're going to have to play better than they are. You have to go into their gym and do it. So let me ask you from a coaching perspective, new coach, new team. We talked a little bit about this with Rutgers last week, but do you think the tight matches between the Buckeyes and the Boilermakers last season adds any sort of flair to this one? I mean, I don't know. I'm sure you remember, but if fans don't remember, first set in West Lafayette last year, 30 to 28, Ohio State squeaked that one out before Purdue stormed back to take the second, third, and fourth. Obviously, that Emma Ellis performance late in the fifth set in Columbus mm. is probably going to stick around in the Buckeyes' you know, memories, if you, I mean, my, my assumption at least. Yeah, I don't know, you know uh, Daniel, what they'll be thinking. I feel like last season was probably a blur for them and, and uh, not making the tournament and the coaching change. They probably put that to bed. And they're just um, feeding off of how they're playing right now. And, and they feel like they can beat anybody they, they step on the floor against. We feel the same way. So it's going to be a real interesting scenario uh, when there's two teams that are expecting to win, step onto the floor. But I'm, I'm excited about it. It'll be a great matchup. Um, you know, we have a little more experience than they do. It's not like we got a veteran team, but we have people who have been through the wars of the Big Ten for, for many, many different times. And uh, I don't think that Going into their place is a big deal. We love that facility. I mean, you know, you were there last year. What a beautiful place to play volleyball. And uh, we had success there a year ago. We've actually had pretty good success against Ohio State in general uh, during the last 18 seasons. But they're trying to change that. And uh, Jan Flynn, who uh, you know played at Ohio State and uh, was a member of the national team, is doing a lot of really good things, and her staff as well, to, to get the Buckeyes to 15-1. and one. Yep, four NCAA tournament appearances for Coach Flynn Oldenburg. First player in conference history to be named all-conference at two different positions, setter and outside hitter, and then was uh, a silver medalist in 2002 with the United States. Coach, you guys have won four straight against Ohio State. 2 p.m. start on Friday, 2 p.m. start on Saturday. Friday will be on the radio. Saturday will be internet only if you're interested in listening to my voice for the weekend. If not, 
always available to watch. On well, I, I would ESPN suggest on, on, on Saturday when that game is on ESPNU that they turn the volume down and listen to the, the local authority uh, to get the inside scoop on what's really happening. I tend to agree. Um, Coach, let's talk a little bit about the health of your team. Last time we spoke in our last podcast, you mentioned that there were a couple of nicks and bruises, especially in the middle. Didn't look like it against Rutgers with JL Johnson having 22 kills, just two errors, hitting 690, Trammell picking up 19 blocks. What's that health update on your on your squad? It's always a great thing when the healthiest players you have play at the highest level. So uh, give our, our trainer credit, give our, uh, our, our coaching staff credit for resting those people uh, as much as we needed to, to both keep them on top of their game, but not overdo it. And I thought that whatever we did last week worked brilliantly uh, with those two players. And we're going to do the same thing. We've done the same thing this week. They will not practice today. They'll take the, the day off because again, it's not anything serious with either one of them. They just, the grind of practicing hard every day and then playing, you know, two big 10 matches on the weekend will catch up with you if you're not careful. So we're trying to stay ahead of the game. And thanks to Stephanie Medina, our first class trainer, uh, for making sure that we're taking great care of those athletes. So you've got those two in the middle and then the left side position. Didn't really see much of Maddie Chin against Rutgers. I think she had six swings on Friday and then was able to, you know, rest on Saturday, gave Emma Ellis the chance. Ellis was fantastic. 10 kills on 21 swings, hitting 381. Maddie Cook had a good performance on Friday, four early kills in the match against Rutgers before Maddie Chin was able to uh, provide a little bit of a block late in that match. Talk to me, coach, about those three uh, sophomore left sides. Well, there's nothing more exciting in our gym right now than watching the development of our outside hitters. And, you know, Caitlin is also getting better. She's going to have to, you know, carry the load for us a lot on the left side. But in that other spot, boy, the three sophomores are so much fun to watch. And last night, Maddie Cook was unstoppable. There was not anybody on our team that could stop Cook from bombing the ball and hitting the floor. She just really was feeling it last night. As you mentioned, Ellis was on top of the world in really the best match she's played all season uh, against Rutgers. And she was fearless. She came on the floor like it was her time to shine and she was going to make a point. And she did. And then Maddie Chen's been the most consistent of, of all three of them, you know, during the course of time. And um, I know she'll be ready as well. So, you know, we'll, we'll roll the dice on that when the time comes. And, and if, if whoever starts plays well, super, if not, we'll have somebody, you know, ready to come in and, and get the job done. So it's not like we're, we're trying to find somebody who will play well. It's just trying to, um, balance it out so that they're all getting opportunities because we all we feel like that all three of them can play at the highest level in the Big Ten. Talk about improvements. All three of them have definitely improved from last year. But coach, who that Boilermaker fans are not seeing on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, we're not, we don't have eyes on practice. Who would you say is, is one or two of the most improved players here this season? Well, one of the hardest workers we have in our camp is Molly Brown, the six foot two inch middle uh, comes from Northern Indiana and she actually got in for, you know, five or six points uh, against Rutgers. And uh, uh, she's so active. She's going to be an, another big time blocker for us. Uh, she has a good arm when she catches up to the ball. Uh, the game is a little bit quick for her, 
right now, but boy, the, the, is she in the gym every day, not just for practice, but outside of practice, he's in the gym getting work done with our volunteer coach or, or one of our managers. So it, it's really fun to, to watch her development. Ava Torrance, the, the smallest player on our team out of Avon High School, is just take a, take a, not a jump, but a leap this year. Uh, and, you know, she could play at any time. She could play for our libero. She could play for any of our DSs at any time. And I would not, you know, lose, lose any sleep over it. She's just, has just gotten so much stronger, so much better, and uh, really needs some more time, really needs to play more than what, what we've given her the opportunity to. So hopefully, uh, you know, as the season go, goes on, uh, we'll give her those opportunities uh, to play whenever somebody's not getting the job done. I, I'm not a big fan of throwing people out there just, to give them a chance to be on the floor. I want to play them when, when they've earned the opportunity to and, it, and the, her, their play really matters. So uh, when you look at what we have down the road with Ohio State for two on the road, then coming back against an, the most undervalued team in America, Illinois, who I think is six and 10 right now, but all 10 losses have come to teams ranked in the top 11 in the country. Um, you know, that tells you, you know, how good they really are. So, um, and they're getting better. You know, the, the two upcoming matches are going to be real Donnie Brooks, and they're going to mean a lot for both teams. Illinois still has a chance to make the tournament. I mean, if they finish with two wins over Indiana, and if they can come in here in their minds and beat us twice, then, the, the, you know, you don't have to be 500 this year to make the tournament. That's one of the rules that they've got. You just have to be one of the best 48 teams in the, in the guidelines of what the NCAA tournament has. Perfectly leads me into my next uh, topic here, coach. And that's the strength of the big 10. I mean, you mentioned Illinois, they're actually four and 10, but all 10 of their losses have come to the okay. top 10 in Wisconsin and Nebraska and Minnesota and, uh, and Ohio state. So it's, it's been an interesting season for Chris Thomas. We'll see them at home next weekend, but just looking up at the overall you know, identity of the Big Ten this season. Are, are you getting an idea that people around the country are giving the respect that usually is offered to the Big Ten? You know, Wisconsin 11-0, and then you've got Ohio State, Nebraska, Minnesota, all within two games of Wisconsin there in the top four, Purdue, Penn State. And then you've got the issues with Northwestern and Michigan that they just haven't played enough teams to be able to really get the Big Ten as many numbers in the tournament as I think maybe they deserve. Well, I think the 48 team limit this year is, is going to really diminish opportunities for our league as much as anything else. Um, they're not going to just allow every capable Big Ten team to play in that tournament, unfortunately. Um, I do think that the Big Ten Network has helped uh, coaches and fans and committee members from across the country to evaluate the Big Ten Conference. And um, I, I think it has great respect. I don't I think it's going to be hard to get more than six teams uh, in this year because I think uh, the SEC is going to get three. I think the ACC could get four. Uh, the Big 12 uh, is going to get maybe three. Uh, you know, it's hard to say. Pac-12 Pac should get at least four. Uh, they don't have a, a real juggernaut right now, but they've got a lot that are right in that eight through 20 range. Um, you know, the, the Washington, Washington State, uh, Oregon, Utah, those are the four that, you know, jump, jump out the most, but there are some others that are making some noise. So it, it's going to be hard because the, the, uh, the NCAA has limited to 48 teams, despite, you know, some of the noise we're hearing from, you know, some fellow Big Ten coaches about lobbying for 64. And I think it's worth mentioning, Daniel, that why, why are we going to 48? I mean, 
it seems like things are calming down dramatically in this country. We're going to be playing inside a convention center. We're not going to be playing in venues that are going to cost anybody a dr dramatic amount of money. The travel is going to be less. You're playing right in the middle of the country so everybody can get in there at a reasonable price. So um, I think it's worth taking a look at. I don't think that that's going to change, but I certainly think it's worth taking a look and, and how the NCAA is treating uh, men's sports and women's sports collectively. And so for those that are wondering, you know, what's, what's coach talking about here? It started with the Wisconsin head coach, Kelly Sheffield, going to Twitter, quote, you know, when we were told six months ago, there'd only be 48 teams in the tournament. We were just happy to have a season. I'm watching 68 basketball teams compete. Our entire tournament will be in one location. There's the cost saving. NCAA should do the right thing and increase volleyball to 64. Then Nebraska's head coach, John, John Cook, was uh, quoted by Brent Wagner on Twitter, the sports writer for the Lincoln Journal Star, saying, I totally agree with Kelly Sheffield. I think it's ridiculous. We're at 48. Basketball didn't cut back. Why are we cutting back? Football didn't cut back. Why are we cutting back? Especially the fact that it's all in one place. We've seen little quips from different former coaches as well around the conference. And I think, Coach, I think this all kind of goes back to the same debate that's going on with the men's and women's college sports as well. And, and I, I would love to see a change made because that, what is the only difference adding that first round back for the top 16 seeds? I don't think anyone prepares to have that buy anyway. So you guys would be more than happy to play. Yeah, we're already, we're already playing matches on that day, you know? Um, so it, I don't see the value if we're trying to do what's best for student athletes. I don't see the value and cutting from 64 to 48 when they're all going to be in a convention center that's already rented out. You're not going to pay much more. The, the cost is going to be getting those teams to Omaha to, to play that match. I guarantee you those, those teams would pay their own way if they could play in the NCAA tournament. They'd pay their own way to get there. So I, I, I know we would. I guarantee you we would if, if it got down to it. So I'm on board. You know, the Big Ten coaches and, and most coaches in this country, they put volleyball first. This isn't about, um, you know, individual. It, obviously, Cook and Sheffield, those two teams are going to make the NCAA tournament. They're not lobbying for themselves. They're lobbying for the sport. And, and women, you know, we've taken the back, back seat for, for way too long. And, and uh, you know, obviously, at the time, everybody said, okay, we're going to have a tournament because we didn't know if we were going to have a tournament, if we're going to have a season. But then they said 48 teams. We said, well, okay, we'll take that for right now. But then when you start to see everything evolve, and then unfold, then you wonder, well, why are we just playing with 48 teams when we just watch women's basketball and men's basketball play with 68? It's, it's on top of it all, and I think this, this could be one of the last things that we talk about here before we move on, but it, it takes away from 16 teams making it to the NCAA tournament. And we're not just talking about blue bloods that are sitting there like Illinois or Michigan that are always there that maybe can get back. But I mean, think about the Horizon League last year. They had an at-large team come play in West Lafayette. There are going to be a lot of mid-major schools that could have had an at-large opportunity that are only going to be one big conferences now. And like you mentioned, there are absolutely revenue increasing opportunities to promote that you are an NCAA tournament volleyball program. And the fact that they're going to take away from 16 of those schools being able to boast that is, is really disappointing. It is, it is tough. It's tough to swallow because what they have three weeks, what's going to change in the construction of the tournament that they couldn't change and say, Hey, you know what? 
let's go to 64. I'm not quite sure what the logistics would be. It could be too late, but at least it's worth seeing that some coaches are making some noise here and putting up a little bit of a fight. Yeah, I can't say it any better than you did. You know, I mean, I, the fact that there are teams that might get their first opportunity ever or first opportunity in a long time to play in the NCAA tournament and, and how hard teams have worked through this season, you know, what it's taken to get through this season, the sacrifices that these players have made. Um, I, I'm, I'm all on board with it, but, you know, maybe there's some factors that I'm not aware of. So let's end with some good news here, Coach. There was uh, the official announcement that your squad has added two more committees, signees, um, however you want to call it, names to the 2022 or 2021 signing class for 2022. Emily Rastovsky and Sydney Yims are going to join Ali Hornung and Raven Colvin. Um, one of them, you know, an, an Indian, Indiana native. Coach, talk to me about Emily and Sydney adding to your squad. It, it makes such a wonderful group coming in. You talk about coachable, quality, class people. Um, you know, Colvin and Horning already in the books. And then Rastovsky out of Morgan Township High School. Her dad played football here at uh, Purdue University. Sydney Yims from the East Coast. Uh, I think she lives kind of like around the border of New York and Connecticut and uh, has come to our camp. Her mom has a degree from Purdue University. She's an attorney on the East Coast. So all four of those kids coming in have a connection with either a mom, a dad, uh, or a sister that uh, has played here or has, has, has been at Purdue University. So it's really an interesting group. But one, I'm just so, so excited about each and every one of them. They're, they're absolutely beautiful people and uh, they're gonna make our program better. So it's, it's, we had to wait for a while to get the, the green light to announce Emily and Sydney, but they're in the books right now and, the, and they just cannot wait to get here and get started. They'll, they'll arrive in June um, uh, this summer and uh, they will make our program better. Absolutely, big welcome to Emily and Sydney joining the 10th ranked recruiting class for 2021 alongside Marissa's sister, Allie, and uh, Roosevelt's daughter, Raven, all of those Purdue connections. Love to see it. Coach, always great chatting with you. I think this was uh, one of our all-time episodes. Thank you so much. <laughs> Sounds great, Daniel. Uh, enjoy the ball game tomorrow. Absolutely, should be a fantastic weekend, Purdue. Ohio State 10 versus 9, Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern time, Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Pre-match show, as always, starts 10 minutes before the first serve, either on PurdueSports.com or 104.3 FM. The Patriot, he's Coach Shondell. I'm Daniel Gilman. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dig City, a Purdue Volleyball Podcast.